Most of you know our brother Mike here and Anita. And it was four years ago today that they lost Kayla, their daughter. She was age 20, 29. Kayla was 29. And she passed away with cancer. And we remember those days for Mike and Anita. It was a long sickness. And Kayla was a very precious young Christian lady. And uh, she fought very hard. And she was remarkable in how she dealt uh, with the pain and the suffering that she endured. And so she leaves within our hearts a very precious memory. But when those anniversaries come along, come around, it's not always easy. I want, to, I want you to please remember Mike and Anita uh, this week um, as they remember uh, Kayla in a special way. Let's be turning over together to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel uh, chapter 28 as we begin our study together. 1 Samuel 28. You remember that God's people in the days of Samuel the prophet, in the early times of this book, Long about 1 Samuel 8, they desired a king, a king to rule over them, a king, that so they, a king so they could be like the other nations round about them. And God granted them, even though really that was a rejection of his will, he granted them what they wanted. The first king selected was Saul, King Saul. And we're going to do a little studying about Saul. We're going to begin in 1 Samuel 28 looking at one of the spookiest scenes in all the Bible. And also uh, has some humor behind it, I think. So if you'll look at uh, the verses here, we'll start in verse 7. We'll be all over the place, as we usually are. But we'll start in verse 7, 1 Samuel 28. This is Saul. And Saul says to his servants, King Saul, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium. That is, one who's a sorcerer or a wizard. Or some versions even have the word witch. Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is one at Endor. So next verse, verse 8. So Saul disguised himself. And I'm trying to, I encourage you to do this. Try to, try to picture this in your mind. This is King Saul. This is the king. King Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, at night time. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whoever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off all the mediums and the wizards from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? 
But Saul swore to her by the Lord and said, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Well, who shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring Samuel up for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, so here comes Samuel. Now Samuel is dead. He's died, but then here he is. Here he is. She saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, what have you, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? She said, An old man coming up, and he's wrapped up in the robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Okay, so let's think about this for a minute. The woman does not bring back Samuel from the dead. Because as you see here, what verse is it? Verse 12. When she saw Samuel, what did she do? Well, she screamed. She screamed. She cried with a loud voice. She did not expect, because she's never done this before, she doesn't have the power to to communicate with the dead or bring up someone back from from the dead to speak to people. The reason she screams is because this is totally unknown to her. This This is totally new to her. Okay, so she screams out. But this is Samuel. This is obviously God doing this. God has brought back Samuel. This is God's power doing this. This is really Samuel. Notice in verse 15, it says, Samuel said to Saul. And then again in verse 16, Samuel said. So this is actually Samuel talking. Though, if you'll look in verse 3 of this same chapter, it says, Now Samuel had died... And all Israel had mourned for him and burned him, buried him, that is, buried him in Ramah, his own city. And so he has died, and so here he is appearing again. But to underscore in our minds, this is not the woman's power doing this, but this is God doing this. And isn't it comforting to see how God can so easily... Take one who is in the other world, who once was in this world, can just bring back that, other, that person from the other world uh, for his purposes. What would be another event where God did this? Yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration. One place recorded is uh, Matthew 17. Who appeared there uh, to Jesus and to Peter, James, and John? Moses and Elijah uh, appear. So notice how it's no problem for the Lord. Of course it's not because he creates all things, everything, um, to just take someone who has died physically but bring them back if he wanted to, uh, to speak to someone uh, in this life. I find that comforting because that shows how much God is in control. It shows that God is with us 
after we leave this life, just as much as he is with us before we leave this life. Maybe more than that. So notice the involvement of God here. Now obviously the, the purpose of God, surprising everybody here, is that he wanted to pronounce a sort of conclusive uh, judgment upon Saul and his household. Okay. Notice Samuel's words here, beginning in verse 15, still in this chapter. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress here, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answered me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Samuel said, what, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. You'll remember reading, if you go on into chapter 30 and 31 of the battle, and then finally uh, Saul will take his own life instead of being handed over to the ruler. He just takes, takes his own life uh, by suicide. Now, the question is, why would Saul go to this lady even though he knows this is not right? Well, does Saul know this is not right? To go to a, to a supposed wizard or a sorcerer Okay, or a medium person. Um, why would he do this when he knows it's not right? How do we know it's not? he knows it's not right? Well, looking at 1 Samuel 28, look at verses um, uh, let's see, 3. 3, where it says, Samuel had died and buried in his own city. And it says, Saul had put the medium's and the wizards out of the land. Okay. But the Philistines came and encamped. Okay. Saul knows this is wrong. The woman that he came to, she said, You're, she didn't know it was Saul at first. And she said, you want to get me put to death? Are you setting a trap here uh, for me? Why are you coming to me with this request? You know Saul has put uh, all these out of the land. He know, you know that if he finds out I'm doing this, I'm, I'm a dead person. Saul knows this is wrong. Why is he doing this anyway? As we think about that, run back with me to a couple of places. Um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, just to show how the law had spoken about this kind of thing. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and you'll notice beginning in verse 9, Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Okay, here's one of those practices. Thou shalt not be, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering 
or anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or who becomes a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a wizard or any of those type things. Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And then also, uh, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, I believe it is, all the way down to verse 31. Leviticus chapter 19, all the way down to verse 31. Do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20 and verse 6. If a person turns to mediums or wizards, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person, will cut him off from among his people. Chapter Leviticus 20, verse 27. A man or a woman who is a medium or a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. God doesn't take lightly this idea of trying to communicate uh, with the dead. Okay, those things that belong to God belong to God. Okay, so Saul knows this is wrong. Okay, but why does he do this? He also knows, most likely, if he doesn't, he's going to know how useless this is. It's useless. It's not only wrong. By the way, is it wrong in the New Testament too? Galatians 5, 19 to 21 talks about the works of the flesh. And one of those mentioned there is being a sorcerer. Okay. Revelation 22, 15, those outside the city of the Lord, a list is given there. Revelation 22, 15, one of those on that list is sorcerers. Okay. So God, very displeased. In fact, if you think about it, is there any sin in the Old Testament that God condemns that is now tolerated under the New Testament. Especially when you think about the moral things. When you think about the the behavior of man. Is there any particular sin morally of the behavior of man that's condemned in the Old Testament that when you get to the New Testament somehow tolerated? It's interesting to think about. But this one certainly... Uh, is not. And so, why would Saul go to this woman knowing uh, this is wrong? And it's useless. It is useless. Okay? It's useless. Let's think for a moment why this is so useless. Right. Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6 talks about how that, um, talking about the dead, those who pass on, uh, they don't know anything. Okay? Not that they get over and in the other world and just blank out. Okay. But the writer goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6, they don't know anything under the sun. Okay. In other words, once we leave this life, we're not just, we don't, we're not watching a, a television show of what's going on in this, this life. Okay. We don't just have an automatic knowledge or panoramic view of everything taking place here. We've got other things on our mind once we leave this life. The dead don't know what's going on under the sun. Okay? 
So that's why this is useless. Also, the, the dead uh, don't know the secret things of God. They don't. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to God and uh, the things that he reveals belongs uh, to us. Right? So just because we die don't mean we're going to automatically know all the things that, of God that we didn't know while we were here. Okay? Only God can know those secret things of God. And then you remember the, uh, the account Jesus gives in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus, and both of them died. Okay. And what was, the, what was the request of the rich man to Father Abraham? Send Lazarus to his brothers to warn them. To warn them. Also, to send Lazarus to do what? Yeah. Yeah, to, to dip the tip of his finger in water so he can come and cool his tongue. He says, I'm suffering down here. Okay. What did Abraham say? Basically, that cannot happen. Yeah. Luke 16, um, verse 26, Luke 16, 26, Abraham says, Besides all this, between us and you are, is a great gulf, a chasm, that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from there to us. Okay. So Abraham represents the place of comfort, and uh, the rich man's in torments, both after death. Okay. Abraham said, nobody can go from where I'm at to where you're at and vice versa. And nobody can go over there back to the other world and come back here and can't send messages back and forth. And so, that's the thing. It's useless. It's just known as it wrong. It knows that not only can it not happen, but it's uh, also useless. So we get back to our question, why, did Saul, why is Saul doing this? Why is he doing this? I think here in 1 Samuel 28, uh, Saul reveals why he's doing this. He inquired of the Lord and what happened? Yeah. The Lord didn't answer. The Lord has left Saul because Saul left the Lord. And so he is desperate now. The Philistines, once again, are crowding on him, threatening in a very big way. And so um, out of what seems to be just utter desperation, he tells his servants, go find me one of those women. Let's do a little tracing about Saul and see how that he departed from the Lord um, in a very straightforward way. Go back with me to 1 Samuel 13 for a second. 1 Samuel 13. And as we approach 1 Samuel 13, we'll need to remember uh, something from 1 Samuel 10 and verse 8, where Samuel said, I'm going to meet you, Saul. I'm going to meet you in Gilgal. And there we're going to worship and inquire of the Lord because there's all these threats around. Okay, and Saul, he doesn't know what to do. And so I'll meet you in Gilgal. 
And we're going to worship there. We'll sacrifice uh, there. 1 Samuel 13, beginning in verse uh, 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. And Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering there himself. And as soon as he had finished the offering, the the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done? Verse 11. Saul said, when I saw that the people were getting scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed... And that the Philistines had mastered um, or, or had gathered themselves at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, verse 13, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now... Your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And we all know who that was going to be. A reference here uh, from Paul's sermon in Acts 13, 21 to 23 is a good one to look at. and kind of recounts this very uh, history. But here, one of the, the departures of Saul is that he, he offers this unauthorized uh, worship. He, um, he becomes impatient. He takes matters into his own hand, hands. And Samuel said, by God's inspiration, that you have done uh, foolishly. Okay. Did he meet Samuel at the proper place? Did he go to Gilgal? He did go to Gilgal. Okay. But we learn from this that partial... Obedience equals what? Yeah, it equals full disobedience in the Lord's eyes. When the Lord says something, then we are to do it down to the point uh, at which He says it. So partial um, obedience is just the same as full disobedience uh, in the Lord's eyes. We must also never become impatient with the Lord. We must learn to settle on His Word and to follow Him and to wait for Him uh, and, and seek His blessing by doing His will. Okay. There are ways to worship God correctly and there are ways to worship God incorrectly. And Saul was foolish here. Um, and that's a lesson for us uh, today as well. So we could keep reading uh, Samuel's words to him here in 1 Samuel 13, but I think you got the idea that, um, that Saul had just gone out on his own here. It hadn't been that long that the people recommended Saul because of his stature and also because of his character. Among all the people they would have chosen, uh, they chose him. Okay. Sometimes, not just sometimes, it's almost every time that when a man gets some power he loses himself instead of thinking about what his responsibility is 
he begins to think about how he needs to hold on to that power. And then that turns him into a people pleaser. And then it goes down from there. Saul is on, Saul is on this track. Okay. And his first departure here is this unauthorized worship here in 1 Samuel 13. And then if you look over to 1 Samuel 15, what is, what is his sin here? What is his sin in 1 Samuel 15? Yeah, he was sent to, to utterly destroy the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 3. Some of the new translations have it more correctly there. Uh, utterly destroy is correct, of course. But deeper than that, they were, to be, they were to be devoted to destruction. This was God devoting this nation, the Amalekites, to utter destruction. Why was, there, why was this? Was there bad blood between God and the Amalekites already? Already something revealed about this? What do you remember about the Amalekites? They were very wicked, have become wicked. If you go back to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 17, uh, fresh out of Egyptian bondage, God was gathering his people there uh, in the wilderness, and the Amalekites came and attacked God's people. And it's interesting to see what Moses says about that. Uh, Isn't that also the time where they had to hold Moses' arms up? Is that the same account? As his, as his arms stayed up, then the victory was good. I believe that's right. Uh, Exodus 17, 8 through uh, 16. And so they were able to defeat the Amalekites that time. But notice verse 14, Exodus 17, 14. The Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly... Blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now this is God fulfilling his promise of destruction. He commands Saul to lead his army to do his bidding here. And Saul does what? What does Saul do? How is it that Saul disobeys? So if you look at 1 Samuel uh, 15, um, the instruction is, verse 3, Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. But then you just let your eyes go down. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag, king, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy uh, them. Okay. And so Saul disobeys. Think about this though. Remember how that God had his eyes on Amalek. Because Amalek had gone bad. So 
Amalek was in the crosshairs of God. This teaches us that God does not ignore what nations are doing. And God will act in his own good time. He will not let disobedience and utter perverseness slide. And so God has always acted this way, and this is another example of that. So Saul does this thing of sparing the king and sparing some of the, the animals. And so here comes uh, Samuel to talk to him about this. And we're here in 1 Samuel 15. It says that, um, oh, we'll pick up in verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 13. And Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. This is Saul talking. Samuel said, what then is this? What, is, what does Samuel refer to? The bleeding of the sheep. I have performed the commandment of the Lord, Saul said. And basically Samuel said, well, the mooing of the cows and the bleeding of the sheep are calling you a liar. What we hear is saying to us that you're not telling us the whole truth. And so they begin to have a conversation. Now, of course, again, this is Saul trying to partially obey the Lord. He had a hard time with this. Okay. He obeys the Lord thinking that doing a good part of what the Lord said will get him through, get him by. Uh, but we can see that's just not what's happening. Okay. Notice here he says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But then after Samuel talks to him, what does Saul say in verse 24? What's the difference? He first says to Samuel, Samuel, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed his commandment. Now, after Samuel explains, what does Saul say in verse 24? I have sinned. He has gone from I have performed to I have sinned. What happened in, the, in between those two statements? Well, Samuel explains. Samuel gave him the correct information once again. That's what, that's what people need. Sometimes we have to, for me it does. Okay, for me. For me. And the Lord has to knock me over with his word once and then again and then again. And finally I get it. Sometimes it takes takes that long to get to us. But Saul had heard God's instructions. But Samuel made it plain to him and he says, okay, I see, I have, I have sinned. I have sinned. So Saul saw that he had sinned after he heard the words of Samuel. But then notice here, Yes. He uttered the words. He said, "Yeah, I did it, but I did it because that's what they wanted." Yeah. He blamed it on somebody else. That's right, and you see that. That's a huge tendency among 
among us that we we want to blame some circumstance or somebody else. And it is interesting, if you look at verse 20, what Aaron's referring to, 1 Samuel 15, Saul comes back to Samuel and says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone out on this mission on which the Lord has sent me. I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, verse 21, but the people... I have that underscored in my Bible. But the people took of the spoil and sheep and oxen the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And so Aaron's absolutely right. He blames the people. He does utter the words, I have sinned, but he doesn't ever really take responsibility for what he has done. responsibility was his to lead the people. He says in verse 24, Aaron's saying that I feared the people. I feared the people. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, in fact, Matt, go ahead and just read um, 22 and 23 for us because that is, that is the main thrust of what Samuel uh, says to him. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For obeying is like the sin of divination, mm-hmm. and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as the Okay. So notice here that Saul thought, evidently, that bringing these sacrifices would be a substitute for humble obedience. And that's the lesson for us. Superficial sacrifices are not a substitute for humble obedience. It's not that Samuel saying the Lord despises the sacrifices. The Lord is the one that set up the sacrifices through the old law. But the Lord has always looked at the heart. And he will despise a sacrifice. He can even despise worship today if it's not offered from the inside out. And so we see that. And of course, he's also teaching Saul here and us that human wisdom and this is what happens here. Human wisdom gets involved. They thought it was better. Okay? They thought it was better to spare the king. And they saw all those good-looking cattle there, those sheep and the lambs. And they said, this would be really good for sacrifice. So let's keep, let's keep them alive. Human wisdom was brought up and tried to uh, be offered in exchange for God's plain word. And just as Samuel said here, you, you have rejected the word of the Lord. David, you find rather ironic in verse 23, it says, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Yeah. Samuel's talking that, yet in chapter 28, he uses witchcraft to contact Samuel. Absolutely. Yeah. This sounds like situation ethics. Sounds like situation ethics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the end justifies the means. So we 
Amalek was basically destroyed, right? And so I basically carried out the Lord's commands. But the Lord is paying close attention uh, to, to what we do and the motives behind which we do it. Yeah, it starts with the with the first sin. Some somebody told us not to eat of the fruit. Somebody else told us to it'd be okay and it'd make us smart. So we did it, and we see how that happened. Okay. So you see here that Saul, in decline, he offered un- unauthorized worship, but then he didn't fulfill the commission of God against the uh, Amalekites. And a third thing that you can see in his life is, of course, his insane jealousy of David. I know our um, adult class, uh, one of our adult classes on Sunday morning is studying the life of David, and that's part of it, is Saul becomes particularly jealous of David after he defeats Goliath. But if you notice here in 1 Samuel 16, uh, 14, this is an interesting statement. Um, It says, verse 14, chapter 16. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That's a great statement. Basically it means that Saul became emotionally disturbed more and more because of his rebellion against God. Because when we rebel against God... Even though on the, on the surface we're trying to make everything look good, deep down there's a conflict within us. And I think this is happening with Saul. And so he becomes more and more emotionally demented. Okay. Don't you see, don't you think that's about what's happening here? And part of that emotional disturbance is that he becomes just really jealous of other people, and especially David. He's disturbing his own conscience, which all of us have. Now, it says here the evil spirit come from the Lord. How do you work that out? My translation says it's a distressing spirit. But it came from the Lord, right? Yeah. So always remember that little um, principle. We, we mention it every once in a while. Uh, it's called the permissive will of God. Okay. God can be said to do what he merely permits us to do. Okay. Several examples of this in scripture. Okay. God respects us. He is very strict. He respects our freedom of choice, our freedom of will. Okay. And so he respects that so much that it is said that he does something. Really, he's just, he's just allowing us, he will never force us to come to his will and submit to it. And so that's the sense in which this is, this is being said. Okay. Um, let's see, there's, uh, over in Second Thessalonians 2, I think it is, 10 to 12, it speaks of God sending lying wonders so that we can be deceived. God doesn't do that directly, but he allows us, if, we, if we're going to ignore uh, his word and want to follow false teachers, he's not going to stand in our way if we're determined to do that. 
So, but it says the Lord does this. Well, he allows it to be done. So it seems like from this point onward, especially after the defeat of Goliath, uh, Saul became just, becomes just jealous. 1 Samuel 18, 8 and 9. Uh, he even tries to throw his spear at David several times and David was able to get out of the way. But it puts David's life on the run. You read this all throughout First uh, Samuel. But think about it. Uh, unauthorized worship, failing in his mission to God, becoming uh, emotionally disturbed, and so the Lord departs from him. He comes down. He's being threatened by the Philistines. We're way down here in First Samuel 28, and he knows the Lord is not on his side. What is he going to do? What, what can I do to stay alive? Well, I'll just go after one of those wizards and see if that will do me any good. Of course, that failed him uh, as well. Well, thank you so much for walking through some of these ideas. And, and it is one of the spookiest but um, interesting scenes uh, in the Old Testament.